0: It's exciting to me that the church is not a program and it wasn't thought up by man and it couldn't even exist apart from God's power, the miraculous saving of souls and gathering brothers and sisters in love together. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're nearing the end of Galatians. And uh, it's been a while since uh, we've been in Galatians, so uh, let's start reading in verse 16 to get back in context here. Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to this text and to this word. Lord, I pray that you would apply it uh, to our hearts, that they wouldn't merely be a mental thing, but that your spirit would show himself powerful through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several weeks ago, we talked about what God has called us, how God has called us to walk. If you remember, uh, Back in verse 13 of Galatians 5, we're called to freedom in Christ, but we're not called to use that freedom to serve our selfish desires. But rather, God in Christ has made it so that we can begin to fulfill the law of God through Christ. Christ is the perfect fulfillment of it. And through his spirit in us, we can begin to love God and to love neighbor. And you remember the warning at the end of verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And we talked about how our greatest enemy lives inside of us. It's our flesh. And flesh is not just this body, but it's actually, uh, when Paul uses that word, it's the sinful passions, the desires that are in our heart. And he says to this Galatian church that wants to walk by the law and not by the spirit, he says, be careful, because if you don't have the spirit, you're not going to be putting to death the selfishness in your own heart. And what you'll do is you'll bite and devour each other. That's what you'll do. So then in verse 16, what we looked at last time, we get the battle plan. What are, how are we to live as Christians? Every Christian should ask this question. How should I live? Well, Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of of the flesh. That's how you live. And here's what we, we talked about. To walk by the Spirit means this that you listen to the Spirit's instruction, and the Spirit instructs us through the Word of God, through the Gospel. The Spirit wrote the Bible. And He speaks to us through the Bible and He enlightens our eyes and our hearts to understand it. So to walk with the Spirit is to walk in God's Word, relying on the Spirit to help you understand God's Word. So it's instruction from the Spirit. So imagine you're going into battle. Remember we talked about Stonewall Jackson, how he was this fearless leader. Well, we're in a battle. It's called a battle with the flesh until Christ returns. And we're called to listen to the spirit and not listen to your selfish desires, which come so naturally in your old self, the old Adam. We're in this in-between time. The kingdom of God is at hand, but it's still coming. Right at the beginning, Galatians 1.4, we're told that Jesus Christ came to deliver us from this present evil age. So as Christians, we're given the Spirit, but we need to be delivered from the present evil age. We're in a battle, and we need to listen to the instruction of the Spirit. And the second thing it means to walk is In the Spirit is to not trust in your own ability or power, but to trust in the grace of God to help you walk according to God's instructions. Just the opposite of walking according to the law, thinking, I can do it. To walk in the Spirit, Paul says, that's the battle plan. When you do that, you will not walk in the flesh. So the sermon's title is this, Fully Briefed and Equipped to Kill. It's war language. And I'm going to argue from this text that God has equipped you and briefed you about your enemy. Therefore, we live in the time when we should be killing We live in a war time. So I'm asking you, according to this text, to walk by the Spirit. And if you do that, you will identify the enemy and kill the sinful desires within you. In your notes there, I forgot to put will. But walk by the Spirit and you will. Identify the enemy and you will begin to kill. So point one, fully equipped to destroy the enemy. This is a, just pretty much a quick summary of the last sermon. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We live not under law time, but in this new age where Jesus Christ has equipped us. We need to understand that we can kill right now. Remember the illustration of Jonathan with the Philistines when he went up with his armor bearer and, and he, he told God, it's not too much for you to destroy this army. You can do, do whatever you want. So by faith, he goes up to challenge the garrison of the Philistines, sure enough, God gives them into their hands. Jonathan strikes down 20 of them and thousands of Philistines go into confusion and start fighting each other. And Saul, the chicken he is, sitting way back, scared to death, begins to look and sees the army in total chaos and starts to go, hey guys, at first he kind of freaks out and says bring the covenant. He wanted to do magic or or bring the Ark of the Covenant. In In a sense, he wanted to use it as a form of magic in a sense. He wasn't trusting in God. All of a sudden he began to realize, wait a minute, we can go kill them. They're running around totally disoriented. In the same way, Your selfish, sinful desires, the enemy, since Christ has come, since the Holy Spirit's been given to you, since we have the Word of God, is prime for the killing. We are made for battle. We're made to put to death the deeds of the flesh, and the time to kill is now. We are fully equipped. We are fully equipped to destroy the enemy. Jesus Christ has given a decisive blow not only to Satan, but also to these hearts of ours that used to be enslaved to sin. But God in His power has actually created desires for Him. And when you desire God... The alternative is that you don't desire your own idolatry. Whatever that may be, whatever your selfish desires may be, now you can live for God. So point one, we are fully equipped to kill the enemy. We're free. Freedom does not, freedom from the law, according to Paul, does not mean freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. When Paul says you're free in Christ, what he's saying is this. You actually can do something to your selfishness in your heart now. You're free. You don't have to be entangled to the sin in your hearts. Secondly, we're not only fully equipped, we're fully briefed. You know, knowing who your enemy is is relatively easy when it comes to war. Right now, we know that our enemy is ISIS. Knowing who they are is easy, but identifying them can be very difficult. Figuring out where they're at can be really difficult. David Farber, in an article called Identifying the Enemy, speaks of the conditions of the Vietnam War as the United States was in war with uh, northern Vietnam and not southern Vietnam, which was uh, a democratic uh, uh, state or country. Here's what he says. Unfamiliarity continued to plague the soldiers in their encounters with the locals in Vietnam. Whether from Northern or the Southern region, Vietnamese were the same ethnicity, making it difficult for US soldiers to know whether a person was a communist rebel or from the democratic South. There were no immediate signs or recognizable features to distinguish them. The Viet Cong guerrillas served many purposes or roles as fighters, extra troops, and spies. They often were not in uniform. Instead, they wore civilian clothes that made them blend in with the rest of the villagers. For those unfamiliar with the society and people, it was virtually impossible to distinguish between a normal villager and a rebel of the Viet Cong. Who was a bystander and who was the enemy? The rebels certainly used this to their advantage often acting as spies among the civilians, only to launch a surprise attack. This created constant stress and anxiety for soldiers during their interactions with the Vietnamese. Not only were the U.S. soldiers unfamiliar with battle in the jungle in the most difficult geographical challenges you can imagine, they knew who the enemy was, but they didn't know how to identify them, how to see them. That makes war very difficult. And in the more recent wars, our wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, Lieutenant General Daniel Bol- Bolger uh, wrote a book called A General's Inside Account of Iraq and Afghanistan Wars. Why? We lost. Here's what he wrote. We did not understand the enemy, a guerrilla network embedded in a quarrelsome, suspicious civilian population. We didn't understand our own forces, which were built for rapid, decisive, conventional operations, not lingering, ill defined counterinsurgencies. We were made for Desert Storm, not for Vietnam. The U.S. military has experienced Vietnam. Uh, Type wars. We've experienced desert storm type wars. Our military is more effectively built to go up against a nation that has tanks and airplanes and we can see who you are and it's our firepower against you. But in Vietnam, in Afghanistan, in this most recent, Iraq, in Iraq, it is very difficult on soldiers when they can't identify who's the innocent bystander and who's the enemy. But it is not so for us as Christians. God has made it perfectly clear. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine if one of George Washington's soldiers in the Continental Army was unable to recognize the enemy. We would, we would all laugh at this. Was there one soldier that didn't know how to identify the enemy? Here's what you do. You listen for the marching band coming. Here they come. You hear them for two hours before they get there. And then guess what? What are they wearing? Red Coats. And guess what their name is? The Red Coats. You would have to be the most stupid soldier to not know how to identify British soldiers in the Revolutionary War. In the same way, according to this text, look at verse 19. We've already found out that our enemy is the flesh. And here's what God's Word says. Now the works of the flesh, remember the works of the flesh are sinful desires that reside in man, that are selfish. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Some translations, clearly seen. It's not an enemy that goes under the radar that we can't know what they look like. God has briefed us perfectly well. This word is clearly seen. So you're called to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. And this text says, here's your briefing. Here's how you know when you're walking by the flesh and not according to the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Evident. First, sexual immorality. And as we go through this list, I want you to think about how selfish this whole list is. It's all about my pleasure, my glory, my way. And really, you can categorize this list into three groups. Sexual sin failure to worship God, and then sins of licentiousness. So we'll start with sexual sin. Sexual immorality, it's the Greek word pornea. Fornication, adultery. It's the perversion of sexual desire. Now what is sex? Sexual immorality is the perversion of it. What's the meaning of it? Sex is the consummation of the wedding vows that were made before God and men, the physical expression of the selfless love commitment promised. Tim Keller calls it covenant cement. Every time a couple has sex, something God invented, something God defined, what that means is, remember the commitment, this is why it self destructs. This is why premarital sex self destructs. Remember the. Co- oh, yeah, there isn't no commitment. I w- you know, why do even unbelievers in premarital sex cry afterwards when their partner's not there? Because it's one of the great gifts of God that's been perverted. It's not functioning the way it's meant to function. This is why adultery is so wrong. Remember the commitment, oh, not to you, but to that other woman? Sexual immorality is when you take something God has made good, God has defined it, It's kind of like a wedding ring. We look at the wedding ring and remember the vows. Well, sex is better than a wedding ring because with your whole being, with your body and soul and spirit, you're connecting together with this, not only a visible illustration, but you can touch the person. You can talk to the person during it. Remember the commitment. Remember, this is the consummation of these vows. Sexual immorality is the perversion of this. This is why masturbation self-destructs. It's selfish by nature. There's one person there. There's no commitment. There's no relationship. It's using a gift of God and a way it was never meant to use, and it self-destructs and produces pain in a person's life. So, as you see yourself, as you see sexual immorality rising up in your heart and in your mind, know this, you're walking by the flesh and not according to the Spirit. Remember, the goal is, Identifying the enemy, the Bible says it's clear. When you find your heart beginning to look outside of marriage sexually, you can be assured you're listening to your flesh and not to the Spirit of God. We're going to see in a couple weeks that when, when you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. A plant comes up and it's corruption. When you sow to the Spirit, you reap life. So here's the battle. All right? Guys, there's a woman that's not your wife. You're tempted to think sexually about her or to act sexually with her. You have a choice. You can sow to destruction or you can walk by the Spirit and you won't walk by the flesh. Why are you here? What time in history are you at? You're at the time when you kill the sinful desires of the flesh. Impurity. Some of these words almost overlap. They're similar. Uncleanness. Sensuality. Now sensuality, according to Tom Schreiner, is this. I like this definition. Sensuality emphasizes the lack of restraint and unbridled passion of sexual license. It, quote, throws off all restraint and flaunts itself. Let me read that one more time. Sensuality emphasizes the lack of restraint and unbridled passion of sexual license. It throws off all restraint and flaunts itself. We live in a sensual culture that says whatever I want to do sexually, I do. I flaunt it. Whatever body God's given me, I flaunt for everyone to see. There's a sense of there's no recognition of God. There's no recognition that God has created sex. There's no recognition that this is stepping into a noose into slavery. So we have the sexual sins. These are so hard because this sin literally is in our flesh. There's, the, there's almost a mystery to it. Paul says all other sins are outside the body. Well, we can recognize one of the most painful, destructive sins sins that destroys relationships is when sex goes outside of God's design. The second category is failure to worship God. Look at verse 20 idolatry. As you see idolatry in your life, you can know that you are not listening to the spirit of God, but you are listening to your selfish desires Tom Schreiner says the fundamental sin in Paul's theology is the failure to praise and thank God for his goodness and to turn to worship idols instead, to worship the creature rather than, than the creator. Romans 1. If you need help identifying idolatry, find unthankfulness in your life. Find yourself throwing a pity party for yourself and you can be sure that the God of the Bible who is all good is not clearly in your sights. And obviously you've ascended the throne of how dare this happen to me. Idolatry replaces God's goodness with anything else. And a lot of times we replace it just with ourselves. Glory to me rather than God whatever I want rather than I was created to be the image of the living God. And then sorcery. You know, we might not think much about uh, sorcery, but sorcery, if we're going to make it practical and for all of us, it's really just manipulating circumstances to try to get certain results rather than going to God. Rather than going to God with our needs and desires, we're going to go try to manipulate whether it's the spirits or whatever to get what we want. As you see yourself trying to manipulate the circumstances of your life rather than trusting in God, you're essentially practicing sorcery you might not be going to spirits but you might be going to the internet maybe that's where your hope is going to be found you know there's you can the internet pretty much will give you whatever idol you want right whatever position you want to hear you can go find it whatever you want to think about you know your life whether it's physical or spiritual, you can go find someone to say, yeah, this is right, you're right. But it's all connected to idolatry, turning away from God, thinking that somehow true life is outside of God. Now, as I read Romans 1, it is crazy. So you take the Creator God, who in a matter of moments, mere days, Speaks everything into creation now six days of God's work for him it doesn't seem that hard for him and yet we go find little things inside this creation who by the way those little things are meant screaming out saying look at our God who created us that's what they're made for but we go to the inside this creation and say you know what Forget the God who's so amazing, so powerful, so holy that He spoke it into existence. Forget Him. Boring. I'm going to go into His creation and worship here. How stupid. You know, people who find God boring don't think. Think about it. Why do we go to professional football games or turn the game on? We want to see the best of the best in action. Well, who created the best? Who's the one who's given life? Who made the Grand Canyon? God did. You go out to California, you go to Yosemite, nature worshipers everywhere, stupid. The nature's screaming out, look at the God who created me. Look at these trees and the canyons and the granite wall that's unbelievable and trees as big as from me into the wall. They're all screaming. And yet, sin is so deceptive and so rebellious that it creates idolatry. We so naturally go to it. So as you see yourself going to something other than God for your comfort and pleasure, no, you are not walking according to the Spirit. And then you get to this whole handful of relational sins. Because sin is selfish at its core, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that Jesus Christ died to save us from our sinful self, that we can actually start living to God. But because it's selfish, it creates relational disorder everywhere. Look at this list. Enmity. You know, we, we like to lessen <laughs> the reality of all these. Enmity. Does that sound that bad? Well, from what I read, hatred is at the root of enmity. Did you really think you struggled with hatred in your relationships? That your enmity with people is because you have hate and not love in your heart? This is a sure sign you're not walking in the Spirit. How about strife? Focusing on the contention that divides people from one another and from the truth. Strife... This is when we like to create controversy among people and begin arguments and watch people argue together. It's a sick thing we like. And yet some of us struggle with having this controversy. We can just speak it in to the office and here it goes. Or into the church, we can just breed it. You can know that when your heart is doing that, you're not walking in the Spirit. How about jealousy? Desiring for yourself glorification. Desiring that the spotlight be on you, that everyone knows your glory. Jealousy can be a good thing, but here, obviously, it's the negative desire for self glorification when it's going somewhere else. How about fits of anger? Here's the temper that leaves people wounded in the wake of outbursts of anger. Anger anger doesn't just come out of nowhere, but anger comes when a person listens to your flesh for a while. This isn't right. This shouldn't be this way. I'm going to have a conversation with my flesh rather than with the Spirit. I'm going to start feeling sorry for myself. Now this, boom, puts me over the edge. Now I blow up, and I even feel justified because I've been talking to myself. The selfishness in my heart, I feel justified in my burst of anger. This is convicting for me, fits of anger. Man, these come up all the time in my day. I cut a board that doesn't go right on a cabinet. What happened? Of course everything's supposed to go perfect when I work on it, right? A board's never supposed to not fit right. Well, how arrogant is that? But I get angry. If my children are around, I might even yell at them because I'm angry about this board that obviously was supposed to not be cut the way I cut it. Rivalries. This word is interesting. It doesn't focus on the good of others, but grass after honor and praise for oneself, similar to jealousy. Rivalries. You can see how in the body of Christ, if the body is not at battle against the flesh, how a church can be destroyed really quick, which is Paul's concern with this church. And then dissension. That calls attention to the division and fragmentation in a community as a result of sin. Dissensions. Divisions is similar, except divisions has more of a party spirit. These are people who like to create groups, Of division. The the church has always struggled with these people. Some of the most dangerous people in the church are those who like to create divisions by getting people on their side. Some of your translations that might say factions here. This is the opposite of the work of the Spirit, as we're going to see next week. The work of the Spirit seeks unity and love outside of our own selfish desires. It doesn't take uh, unhealthy uh, pleasure in quarrels. In 1 Timothy 6.3, in case you think you're above this, I don't think I'm above this. 1 Timothy 6.3 three warns against people who do this. It says this, if anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. You know, I can get into quarrels about words that at the end of it I say, all that did is created division in the body of Christ. I sit here, I get off track from the gospel of Christ and can argue about opinions that Romans 14 says to leave alone for the sake of love love in unity in second Timothy two twenty three says, have nothing to do with foolish, arrogant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. And so all sorts of these uh, Fruits of the flesh, you could say. Create division and then uh, envy. F.F. Bruce says, it's the grudging spirit that cannot bear to contemplate someone else's prosperity. You know, the Bible calls Christians to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And you might think, you know, it's pretty hard when Let's say a wife loses a husband and it might feel uncomfortable for you to go spend the day, the day after, with that wife because death can be uncomfortable and to be there with them and weep. But unfortunately, it might even be harder to see a brother in Christ be blessed. It might be harder for you to rejoice than it is to even weep with those who weep. That's how selfish our hearts can be when we live according to the flesh. We see someone else be blessed and our hearts turn sorrow because the only thing we've been thinking about is us. The way uh, Paul Tripp describes the flesh what the flesh says is he he goes on and he says here's what the flesh says i want 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 and he goes on and on and on and on but it's really the truth and paul tells us that we can clearly identify, and, and here's the temptation: you will seek to justify all those things we just talked about. Oh, I'm just a man, all guys, all guys look, you can look, but you can't touch. Oh, I'm angry because you know I didn't get enough sleep last night, and I just you know my boss was tough with me at work. Oh, you know, yeah, I wasn't actually gossiping. I actually just wanted people to pray. I wasn't trying to create division in the church. I just wanted to know if anyone else thought this was bad and I wanted them to pray. See, we can justify all these things and when we do that, we're as stupid as the soldier in the Continental Army that doesn't recognize what the Bible clearly puts forward and says, this is what it looks like when you're walking in the flesh. And then we get this warning. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The question that every one of you should be asking me is what's the meaning of the word do? Let me read the text again. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If this word do means ever do, you're in trouble, and I'm in trouble. This word is a present participle that means to make a practice of doing such things. Those who are children of God make a practice of making war on the old self that's being put to death in this present evil age. And those who make a practice of living this other type of life with no war, it's just evident that they're not saved. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh doesn't save anybody. It's simply the evidence that God has put the Spirit of God within the heart of man, changed his desires, and the battle begins. Before you're saved, you just go get all the selfish pleasure you want. You glorify yourself all that you want, when you get saved, I mean, you might get upset when your sin causes problems in your life, but that's not the same thing as, as being upset that you've offended God for your sin. When you get saved, when God puts the Spirit of God within you, you know what happens? The battle begins. And we're going to see what it looks like. We're going to see some of the fruits. We're gonna, the fruits of the Spirit are also evident and we live in this in between time where there's war I wish God's plans better in mine, but wouldn't it have been nice if the moment we trusted Christ we never sinned again but God in his plan I know he does everything for his own glory put the spirit of God within us and said walk with him and when you walk with him you will not fulfill the deeds of the flesh. Isn't that interesting? You think this battle is going to be like, I, I, I recognize the sin, I just shoot at it, shoot at it, shoot at it. But actually, when you walk according to the Spirit, the Spirit points you to Jesus Christ and your inheritance in Him and all the promises in Him. And when your desires for Christ outweigh your desires for sexual immorality, You want to know what begins to die? Sexual immorality. Go back to verse 16. I just want you to see it. I think it's so encouraging. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Spirit will take you straight to Christ. He'll convict you of sin and show you how wrong it is and then he'll say, for God so loved the world, he sent his Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And when you live your life listening to that all day, guess what begins to stop happening in your life? So this is the battle we're in. Nobody's perfect, but Paul says, walk by the Spirit, or devour each other. And if you walk by the flesh, it reaps corruption. If you walk by the Spirit, it reaps eternal life. Father, thank You so much that You've not only fully briefed us with clearly showing us the enemy that lives inside our own hearts, but You've equipped us with the best general we could ever imagine, the Holy Spirit that always leads us in paths of righteousness, that always speaks the truth to us. And Father, I thank You that the Spirit also empowers our efforts as we battle against the flesh. Lord, we thank You that we cannot save ourselves that we needed you to come in, create a new heart in us, give us the Holy Spirit. We give all glory to you, Lord, for our salvation. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.